everyone, welcome back to another First Equity Podcast. Been uh, been quite a while since we did one, probably since on the other side of COVID. And uh, the landscape's definitely changed. So I'm here today with Corey and Christian. I'm Anthony and just wanted to touch on uh, the rental loans that we've been doing quite a bit of and uh, particularly debt covered ratios um, because that's a big component of financing rental properties. And uh, that's probably been the lion's share of our business as of late. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems like the landscape has changed and fix and flips have become a little bit harder to come by these days. It's hard for investors to find a, a good viable project. And it looks like people are, are interested with rents increasing and, and people wanting to focus on their long term plan of owning rental properties are that product has become really, really popular. Like you said, it's been the bulk of our, our business as of late. Yeah, or even even uh, whereas people used to be doing you know, buy, fix, and flip. The the strategy that Burr method has has become even more prevalent after COVID. Or just buying rental properties straight out. So um, you know, we have a perfect product for it. And you know, one of the major factors is is calculating that debt covered ratio. And it's it's pretty often misunderstood, I think, as far as uh, investors understanding what that number means and why it's important. Yeah, sure. And I think it's helpful for you know, our listeners to get a better understanding of like the difference of that product versus a conventional loan and, and why this product has become so popular. And, you know, my background being more in that conventional uh, lending space, you know, the focus has always been, you know, tax returns, uh, looking at people's global financial picture and not focusing just as much on that individual product. And, and you know, I, I feel like this product finally gets things right as it pertains to investment properties. And we look at, you know, essentially, you know, we want to see credit score, we want to see down payment, or we want to see equity in the property. But the big focus is making sure that the rent carries the, the debt on that property, you know, and, and I think that's a logical way to, to kind of underwrite these assets. And then, I mean, prior to these, which by the way, I mean, these DSCR loans never really got a chance to take off, I feel, because like, as it became the marketplace really found this product, mm-hmm. COVID hit, and just nobody was doing it, that market totally seized up. Yeah. But I mean, from like a financial standpoint, if you don't, without this product and without going to like a local community bank or something like that, I mean, conventionally getting one of these done. Is- yeah, it's so tough. I mean, one, you know, Fannie, Freddie, you know, Boca lenders will not let you keep a property name of an LLC, which is a huge thing for, you know, our investor base that wants that, you know, wants themselves covered from a liability perspective that, you know, these loans don't report on your personal credit. That's a big thing for people. Um, and, you know, let's be honest, a lot of savvy real estate investors have a lot of things going on. They got a lot on their plate, a lot of moving parts. They have multiple LLCs and, and, and different businesses going on. And that's just like, it's just a, a nightmare in terms of how uh, Fannie and Freddie conventionally, you know, underwrite those type of loans. And then, you know, as you guys know, Fannie and Freddie made an announcement recently that they feel they're taking on too much of you know, investment property. And and second homes and, and don't really feel that they should be taking on all, all that business. And they're kind of, you know, my opinion, I think kind of trying to push other private money to come to the marketplace. So what they did was they recently said, you know, out of if, if more than a certain percentage of loans that a lender delivers to Fannie and Freddie on a monthly basis, if too much of it is an investment property or second home, they're going to make a pricing adjustment across your full book of business of of the loans that you deliver to them on a monthly basis. So as a way to kind of handle that, you know, lenders in the conventional space are trying to figure out how they should price their investment property loans when they go out to their, you know, either brokers or to their, to their loan officers. And uh, just to be 
err on the side of caution. They've just made the interest rates a lot higher on, on conventional loans in the short term. And, and I don't think that that's going to change anytime soon. So so now the the pricing disconnect where I feel like interest rates, you know, they're a little bit higher on these DSCR loans because, you know, they're a little bit more risk and less underwriting. But now the bridge is, I mean, you guys are more on the, you yeah. know, uh, talking to individual borrowers. It's not even that much of a difference. The conversation when this product first came out, and for the right borrower, this was like, at any rate, was a slam dunk. It was like, you mean I could keep it in an LLC? You mean you don't need my tax returns or W-2s or my income or anything like that? Like, I'm in. And, and these aren't hard money rates. These are really aggressive, competitive rates. Two years ago, the borrower would make a judgment call and say, okay, 2% higher than what I may or may not even be able to qualify for with Fannie or Freddie. I'll take that. Mm-hmm. But now, as you said, the, the rates have come down so much. I don't even know if if there is a big big yeah, gap I mean, between what you can get conventionally versus this product. Maybe it's a hundred basis points spread. You think? And on certain scenarios, I think that these loans probably have higher leverage, particularly yeah. on multifamily properties. Yeah, the multifamily cash out and purchases. You know, we're doing you know eighty percent on purchases, seventy five cash out. I mean, that's higher than than Fannie will go. Uh, you know, and even the community banks. I mean, they'll probably you know cap you at seventy percent. I know you love this question. Like, what are <laughs> rates eventually on? I mean, I, I kind of know what they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, but. like you start layering in, you know, I, I don't love talking about actual rates on these because, you know, historically speaking, you know, if people are watching this down the road. I mean, it's kind of tough to say, but but I mean, there's huge pricing hits. Let's just maybe say that in terms of like, if you have an investment property, that's one thing, right? It, the rates are higher than on a on an owner-occupied loan, but then you layer in multifamily, there's hits, you layer in cash out, you start to get to high leverage cash out multi-investor, you know, you're, you're, you're paying pretty high rates compared to what you pay owner-occupied on the, on the Fannie Freddie stuff for sure. So now, now when the gap is closed between the difference in pricing between these two loan products, and then you compare the actual process of getting the loans closed, I mean, there's really not even a reason to go conventionally, all the other things being equal. I mean, just the, the speed of closing. And honestly, the way I like to look at it is if you asked a borrower, what kind of program do you think would make sense for, for a rental property? They would come up with some common sense things, which is exactly what this, this, this program is. Sure. Okay. I have good credit, which shows I have a responsible borrowing history, like looking backwards. And then the property's got good cash flow, which is means the, there's just good collateral looking forwards. Right. And so those two things combined, you know, that's not the only things we look at, but those are the two main drivers. Sure. And uh, which yeah. is why we wanted to dig, you know, obviously everybody knows what credit score is, but we wanted to dig into that that cash flow component. Yeah, because it's frustrating for these borrowers when you when you have multiple properties and then you on a conventional loan you ask them for just you need every statement, all the with taxes included, insurance, all the stuff. It just becomes you know, an underwriting kind of nightmare. But, you know, also, you know, the other thing is like uh, the blanket loans. And Corey, I know you've been kind of having some success with, with clients. I mean, that's a nice, nice feature, right? Yeah, from from what I gathered, not um, not every, even community banks are in favor, of, you know, in favor of doing blanket loans. And I didn't realize how many lenders out there don't do them. Or yeah. Don't do them. And maybe it's increasing now a little bit, but yeah. Um, I mean, that's like, that's another niche the market was kind of calling for, for a while. Sure. And, and I mean, what that means is essentially doing, you know, one loan cross collateralized across a bunch of properties. And, and that's, uh, you know, something that a lot of investors are looking for just from simplicity standpoint, you know, to have one loan payment and not have to worry about, you know, having 10, 15 different, different loans outstanding. So, you know, I think that that's been a, been a pretty good thing too. So let's dig into the actual loans themselves. So as we said, one, one half of it is is the credit score. And obviously, just like a conventional loan, higher credit scores can offer a little bit better rates or significantly better rates, you know, for top tier borrowers. 
Um, that said, we still lend to you know average or even even lower credit scores in, in certain cases. Uh, but the other half of that is the property itself, and this is really what the loan's based on. What is the cash flow of the property? And so to do that, uh, lenders look at what we call debt service coverage ratio. You'll see it abbreviated DSCR. Sometimes we'll just say debt coverage ratio. And in my experience, historically, just having dealt with community banks and on commercial loans, mm -hmm. they're typically looking at a 1.25 debt service coverage ratio. And do you want to explain like kind of what what that means? What is a 1.25? Yeah, sure. Essentially what it is, it's the it's the debt, the pity payment, the PITI, or if you have a condo association dues as a percentage of the actual of the actual rent uh, on on the property. And uh, yeah, I mean, and I even would say in commercial banks, it, well, commercial properties especially, but but commercial, you know, local community bank lenders, sometimes the formula is even higher. You know, mm. it might even be like a one three or, or one four. So if you know at a one two, it essentially means that the rent is 120% of the debt on that property. So if your pity payment is a thousand dollars, taxes, insurance, everything all included, we want to see, you know, most banks want to see that the that the rent is at least twelve hundred dollars. Where we'll go, you know, if you want to segue into that, that we'll go a little lower on that. Yeah, I say, and pity payment being your principal and interest with your taxes and insurance, and then like you said, if there's a condo. Yeah, know, condo dues or flood. You know, we don't look at maintenance uh, or anything like that, or a vacancy factor. You know, where a lot of banks will then, you know, haircut that. I was going to bring well. that up. Yeah, so you, they might have a higher debt coverage ratio. They might want you to get to a one two five or a one three, and that also includes whatever formula they're using. So it might be your payment plus taxes, plus insurance, plus a vacancy factor, plus they might set aside money for maintenance or whatever other, whatever else is the case. Not only do we not do that, we have a lower debt coverage threshold overall. So yeah. we're really just looking for that 1.1 number in right. most cases. Um, yeah. So, you yeah, know. Which is pretty aggressive. Yeah, and then, you know, I mean, people ask about, you know, the, the seasonal rent. You know, we typically want to see a year-round lease, but, you know, we are now um, you know, post COVID during COVID, it was really tricky because a lot of that, you know, Airbnb, VRBO rental stuff was kind of, you know, you didn't know how that was going to play out. But now that the market's coming back, you know, we are starting to look at vacation rent, um, as a way to cash flow these properties too, which I think is pretty, pretty exciting. And especially for borrowers that focus in those vacation areas. I mean, you know, they could kill it from a rental standpoint compared yeah. to a year, year lease. So it's great that we're, you know, kind of able to, to start analyzing those deals too. And, and helping those type of you know borrowers and, and deals. I'm thinking by the by the time this podcast is probably released, we, should, we probably will have a um, a vacation rental product to be talking about. Yeah. Um. And and again, these loans are 30 years fixed, amortized over 30 years. So even though they are technically commercial loans for residential properties, unlike your local community bank, this is not like a five or seven or 10 year balloon payment. Yeah. Where the loan comes due in five or seven years, and you have to either refinance or sell. This is like set it and forget it. It's a self-liquidating loan, 30-year term, 30-year yeah, amortization. And, and if the cash flows work now, I mean, the argument is, you know, obviously, you know, rent should continue to increase. You're paying down your debt, property value going up. I mean, it's it's all part of, you know, I think coincides with the master plan for a lot of these investors. And, you know, even just a segue to that, you know, so it's like how, like, what's the power of this product, right? Like, you know, what's exciting about this for, you know, for investors? How can they utilize this to you know, create their, you know, increase their, their worth. And, you know, when we have borrowers that, you know, it's life-changing for them. I mean, this is how people are, you know, buying properties to save for their, their kids' college fund or, you know, build out their, you know, retirement plan or, or whatever. Um, you know, if you guys want to talk about that for a second, I mean, one, like, you know, we talk about the Burr method, you know, with values increasing, you know, if people can find something that they could buy, put some money into it, 
you know, fix it up, we will then, you know, pretty much, you know, almost right after they've acquired this property, you know, we'll be able to look at the new value and lend off that. So if in a lot of instances, people are buying a property, fixing it up, we're able to cash them out with this new 30 year fixed loan. And a lot of them are able to take most, if not all of their basis out of the property. So now you have none of your own cash in the property and it's cash flowing. I mean, it's just a home run. You know, and, and think about it from a new investor's perspective, right? It might take you a while to save up fifty, sixty, eighty thousand dollars to to get to get started in the real estate game, especially here in the Northeast where properties are just more expensive. So, to to save up eighty thousand and go out and buy um, a rental property that's stabilized, that might be a good investment. But like now you're back at zero, right. and you have a little bit of cash flow each month, but now you have to save up money again. So, this bird method really allows you to recycle your money, right? You could buy it buy a property that's beat up, fix it up, increase the equity. And we only require six months of seasoning to mm -hmm. use a new appraised value. So once, you know, by the time you're, you're, you fix it up and you put a tenant in there, you're either at six months or pretty darn close. Sure. Now you're going to refinance, pull out not only um, your down payment and your renovation money in many cases, sometimes you can pull out a little bit of extra money mm -hmm. based on how much you've improved that property. And now you're ready to go do it all over again. And so you're recycling the same money over whatever, a six or 12 month period and build Absolutely. the portfolio that way. Yeah. And totally making numbers up, and this would be like a slam dunk deal, but what, and what numbers, what that looks like, is let's say you buy something for 100, you put 50 into it, at that point, your all-in cost is 150 plus any like holding fees. Mm -hmm. But um, let's say it appraised for 300 on the ARV. Well, after six months, I mean, we're gonna be looking at that 300, that's mm -hmm. what we're lending off of, and going up to 75% of that on a cash out. So, I mean, obviously that's a home run deal. They're not all like that. But in that scenario, you can pull out all your... Yeah, but even if people are able to, you know, pull out the bulk, bulk of the money that they use for down payment and maybe they're still out of pocket, some of the renovation costs or whatever, I mean, they could factor that into their model and they're not out that 25, 30% of the acquisition price. And like you said, Anthony, you know, buying that turnkey property. So now you're paying top dollar for it and you're out of pocket 25, 30% on that higher dollar amount where now... Yeah. You know, if you're buying it lower, you're putting that sweat equity into it or getting it getting it fixed up, um, you know, and then and like you said, even if you're able to get the bulk of it out is, is huge. And then, you know, also for our borrowers, like what we're seeing is you know, there's been a, and, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm one of them. I have some you know, I have a couple legacy, you know, loans or properties on my books where, you know, you have people who bought things during the 08, 09, you know, pre bubble. And then, you know, things really kind of. You know, obviously we all know what happened and, and values decreased and now things are starting to come back. So, you know, there's, I think, investors who've been sitting on properties for a long time, you know, might have been stuck in some higher rate loans that they were never able to refinance because they didn't have the equity and it's harder for them to qualify as a self-employed or somebody who owns rental properties. And now finally, not only does this product allow them to, you know, access and, 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 and qualify for these loans, it... um you know, they're able, they're finally, the equity's there, you know what I mean? So they're finally able to get out from maybe under, and now the cash flow is tremendous for them. Or there are people that just, you know, now they realize maybe they've had the equity and they just couldn't get the financing. And now they're able to access that capital and then go out and buy other properties. It's just huge. And what I can't stress enough is kind of what we touched on a little bit is like the actual underwriting process of these loans. It's, I mean, we do conventional mortgages as well. And it's just like, I know we mentioned it before, but it's like, until you actually experience it, yeah. it's just night and day. <laughs> yeah. My favorite question from the borrower is like, what am I missing? Like, the rate's great, the terms are great, the docs you sent me, the list of docs I need is like, I could do that in 20 minutes. Like, what, what am I missing here? And you're not missing anything. It's just, it's common sense lending. That's yeah. why the product's been so amazingly popular. And, you know, there's many, many markets around the country where cash flow, there are cash flow markets, right? The, the spreads based on what you're buying properties for and what they're running for is high. And you, and you can 
relative to what you're getting in rent, you could buy these properties very cheaply. The one thing I wanted to point out was in, in our area, like in the Northeast, if you, some investors are looking to buy like more of like a future, like appreciation play. Mm -hmm. They want to buy in the path of progress. They think that this, this town or this market's picking up. There are cases where for, you know, with, with better credit and lower leverage, um, we can, we can even go below that 1.1 debt coverage ratio, even all the way down to even cash flow or at low enough leverage, even negative cash flow, which is a really cool idea for, for the right borrower. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Like New Jersey, especially, right? Like anybody, our Jersey uh, investors out there, I mean, the taxes are just, you know, so expensive. So it's hard to hit that that high cash flow sometimes. But yeah, to your point, you just think that, you know, but that being said, it's in a great town where you feel like it's more of a price appreciation play. You're okay getting even money or even a little bit less because you just know that, you know, you just feel really confident that the values of the homes are, are, are going to go up over over time. So, you know, we, and yeah, we have that, that we'll look at it a little bit differently. Um, but, you know, for those investors mm -hmm. and we're starting to expand our footprint geographically and we're doing a lot more deals in other parts of the country. It's, it's funny when you see like, you know, these really, they're getting really solid rents and, you know, we, we laugh cause we look at some of these deals where the property taxes are like, you know, $2,000 for a, a year where $980 yeah. Yeah. and, and they're, it's, it's awesome for these investors. I mean, we're giving them a great product and they have tremendous cash flow. Um, so, so that's cool stuff. I mean, yeah, that's, that's more or less the, uh, the product it's, it's been far away like the, the darling of, of what we've been doing the past, uh, <clears throat> few months, I think, uh, investors seem to love it. And I uh, just wanted to get some clarification on, you know, what it is we're looking at with these loans and why that debt coverage ratio is important. So, yeah. And what would you say like best? I mean, anybody listening out there, I mean, it's some of the stuff might be second nature, but some newer investors, you know, some of this terminology, I know we're kind of going over it real quick. What's the best way, you know, yeah, for one, one thing, uh, one thing Corey and I do a lot is we direct uh, borrowers to the website. We put together a really nice rental property calculator uh, where you can actually go in there and, and put whatever scenario you want, whatever leverage, whatever rate, purchase price, taxes, insurance, It'll show you not only you know what the debt coverage is, so you see if the deal works as far as uh, mm -hmm. a lender underwriting it, but also what are your return metrics, your your cash on cash return, and all that those sort of things. So that's a great way to do that. And then um, if you want to just reach out to us, I mean fefunding.com is the website, or seven three two three five nine seven eight zero zero is our is our main line here and. Any one of our loan officers would be happy to, uh, you know, talk through a scenario with you. Yeah. And by all means, just, you know, reach out any question. No questions, a stupid question. We'll help you understand the formulas and everything you need to be looking at. Uh, so that way to help you analyze your deals. Or if there's something that <clears throat> caught your attention that we kind of just glazed over that you just have a general question on. I mean, just like bounce something off us yeah. and uh, happy to look at a scenario. So, yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Catch you on the next one.